Eighth Grade is a film directed by Bo Burnham, a popular YouTuber who became one of the most successful stand-up comics of the last 10 years. In his special Make Happy, he explores a bit of his declining mental state and his issues with anxiety. This struggle led him to write and direct a feature film about what he was feeling like, a girl stuck in the worst possible year of school, 8th grade. The film was distributed by the beloved film studio A24, and many acclaimed as one of the year's best films. The star, Elsie Fisher, even got a Golden Globe nomination for her work. The film chronicles the life of Kayla, a girl in her last week of 8th grade trying to navigate her life and the struggles that come along with just being alive on a day-to-day -day basis. Today I have on Dan Asbelf on Workshopping Humanity, where we discuss the cultural and philosophical elements of a piece of popular culture that's influenced our lives in one way or another. This is an episode of Workshopping Humanity. Welcome back to an episode of Workshopping Humanity. This is episode three, and we're talking about eighth grade today. And today I have on Dan Asbell, um, the artist formerly known as Dan the Movie Man. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he is a... Uh, are you... What do you do with Geminis again? Can you explain that? Um, I, I... I don't know. Uh, I haven't... I, I involved... Uh, <laughs> creative um backup probably like somewhere down the line but i i'm there we can Sweet. call it that yeah say hi dan hi how are you all uh i really have been enjoying this podcast so far and the concept of it so i'm glad uh that i get to be here and contribute uh some of the ways that pop culture is helped me as a person i guess yeah and that's awesome thank you so much for being on here and uh i know one thing about dan is that he is a big festival junket person yeah i remember um we had this old podcast called the toy box podcast and we talked for like two hours about all the different festivals and that was a good time yeah so this will be a good discussion because yeah. eighth grade was kind of a film festival movie yeah like yeah abs yeah so cool cool so first off, we're going to start, um, what does this movie mean to you in particular? And I guess we're going to branch off a lot more just about anxiety in general. Yeah. And this, so kind of explore that, maybe how eighth grade affected you and how it relates to your personal anxieties. Yeah, of course. Well, what's interesting about my experience with eighth grade is that I, I, I suppose my interpretation of it and its meaning to me has changed drastically over time and it, it's always had significance to me but I think right now it has a certain significance to me that I hadn't really got a chance to analyze prior. Um, I saw it at uh, its Texas premiere at South by Southwest 2018 uh, with Bo and Elsie in attendance, which was cool. And uh, at that point, the trailer hadn't come out or anything. There was just the Sundance buzz. And I was particularly blown away by it then because I think what's so special about that movie is that all we knew about Bo Burnham at that point was his persona, which was very much not him 
and something that in the past few years he's revealed that he hasn't really felt too comfortable with it and he he's felt like that's not his place in the world even if he wants to make art it's not really the way he wants to do it and i i went in loving his comedy work and and i was especially moved by it at the time because i i hadn't really seen a movie like that um like a coming of age movie that's it's not super flashy or like or, or telling or talking about discussing how how great uh or how over dramatic the high school or elementary school experience could be i i think it's really special in the way that it's not super extravagant and it and it's a very human story even though the character is so young at any age you can really identify with her and she's not Elsie Fisher doesn't really have the traditional movie star persona in it like her I, I don't know how deep to go here you could stop me if I'm going too deep but I, I oh, think no, no no you're good yeah. go as deep as you want I mean we'll okay, discuss cool. all of this yeah yeah uh, I haven't I, I saw the movie uh during the pandemic again uh but it was before we discussed it um for this podcast in this way but i I think it is quite a particularly impressive movie in its way that it deals with anxiety um we can we can delve into the specifics as of why later but i i think that and the way that what i was about to say before is that the fact that the main character is like slouching the whole movie and um, she she's not a, a super. She she's. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Uh, she she's not. The the traditional. Character that we see in these kinds of roles, and I think yeah. Uh, I guess I'm I'm still trying to. Uh, I didn't script this or anything, so I'm just trying to. Like, oh no, you're good, Break man. it out myself. Yeah. Uh, but I I do think. For now, I want to hear what you say, but I think it's it's a movie that's its meaning to me has changed. But I I think it's always been a very special form of representation in a way that we don't really talk about in terms of mental health representation. I that was very muddled, but but so is this movie, and so is the so are the emotions of that period in your life and uh, socially and whatnot. So it's a muddled, it's a muddled world we live in. So I think yeah. it's all very just, just um, in that regard. Yeah, and uh, Trista and I on the first episode, we actually briefly talked about eighth grade. And I was yeah. like, I can't get too deep into it because that's on the schedule. Mm-hmm. We can't. Yeah. But, like, we were talking about it as well on that episode because of how it correlates with the whole coming-of-age experience. And something we had talked about on that podcast is how impressive it is that they have so many ums and, you know. Yeah. And what's funny is I re-listened to the Boyhood podcasts, I think, last week. And I I realized how many times I was like, you know, you know, (laughs) you know. And I was like, shoot, this is something that we all do, you know. (laughs) <laughs> there you go yeah. but um anyway I'll, I'll keep a counter this time for every time i go um and you know but like this movie it's got to be like over 200 times but i love the fact that they incorporate that into the script like that's such a unique thing yeah 
Yeah. I, I so, think, yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I, I didn't really have much else to say. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, yeah, you're fine. Um, so this movie, I saw it, did not be, I wasn't able to see it in a festival. I saw it at an Alamo Draft House in the summer it came out. And it was definitely one of my most anticipated movies of that year. And it was that year when I decided to start getting into Bo Burnham's comedy. And Make Happy is my favorite stand-up special ever. I think it's brilliant. I think it's super funny, but also is one that I've thought about so often. And his uh, Kanye type of rant at the end when he breaks down and admits his his anxieties towards even doing the performances is such a revelation. I think like it's such a unique breakdown. And so I was anticipating eighth grade and not the year. The year was awful. I'm talking about the movie. (laughs) And uh, what's interesting is uh, my dad goes to see a lot of movies with me and I wasn't thinking this would be one he'd particularly want to go see, but he listens to NPR. NPR had this glowing review for Mm -hmm. this movie when it came out. So he's like, yeah, I got to go see that. So we both saw it together. And I remember like watching the movie being like, shoot, this is going to open up a whole lot for me here in this theater because I do not think there's been a more accurate representation of my school experience in this movie. I, nothing comes close. Nothing comes close. I mean, this, this, um, it was, kind of like i remember walking out of the theater just kind of stunned because i was like yeah no one's done that before because john hughes movies of the 80s is what a lot of people feel like they identify and connect to but it's definitely a more polished representation of high school life the strokes brushed in the breakfast club are so broad it's such just stereotypes and i mean the movie's good but it, it definitely works as a written piece. It doesn't work as a piece of mumblecore, but eighth grade is a piece of mumblecore. And you see Kayla's, I mean, her struggles of everyday life are so instantly recognizable, I think, to anyone who did not feel like they quite belonged at some point of their life. And at the time, so I watched this movie again last night. I haven't seen this movie since the theater. I bought the Blu-ray and I've like wanted to watch it. But every time I put it in, I'm like, I'm not ready for this movie today because it opens up a whole lot. (laughs) And watching it last night, like towards the end of the movie, I I teared up all over again. Like I did the first time. It's so, it's just so remarkable. And, you know, even like last night, I was like, I should probably put this on my like letterbox favorite movies list. And I looked at my list for a while. I'm like, I have no idea where to put this. Because <laughs> it's just like, I might not visit again for another three years. <laughs> but I I love this movie. And again, we'll get into the more specific aspects of this movie later and what it represents. But So I'll ask you, Dan, what is like an aspect of this movie? Like what's a moment in this movie that immediately jumps out to you as something you can relate to? Um, it's a good question. Uh, specifically a moment or, or yeah. an aspect of the way it's made? I, 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 we'll, we'll go into the latter later, I suppose, because there's some, there are some things in that regard. Um, I think the, 
it, it's funny that this did this come out this did come out the same year as hereditary um it's yes. funny because i saw them I, i'm bringing up hereditary now i saw them like two weeks apart uh huh. my uh, um, at least my second viewing was two weeks after my first viewing of hereditary and i think it's funny because the two big sundance indie carryovers of that year that were big summer movies one was i I found one like horrifying more so than the other and it's not the one you'd expect i I remember (laughs) because i remember specifically uh the first thing i said to my friend after i walked out of my second viewing of that scene at the pool party is scarier than anything in hereditary I um, kind of agree with you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think the, the reason why is because I, I'm the type of person, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if you're the same way or if this is very oddly specific, but I, I, I tend to think back to points in my life a lot where I, I wish I had done something else. And oh, then I realized like way yeah. too late that I, I sh- like I realized like months later, like, ah, oh, this very specific moment many months ago, I should have done this. And I think what's so powerful about that scene is um, I don't remember how it specifically plays out, even though this this the skeleton of this movie is like built into my DNA. So I've seen it a ton of times. I, I think that just everything about that it's the kind of scary or the kind of unsettling that's unsettling because it's real and 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 it brings back to you like moments where you felt this way i i and i say this objectively because i think that was his intention um i again i my idea of it's kind of muddled just like this movie and just like this character who's also really muddled but i think just how real and authentic that is it, and how it manages to balance not making the other characters seem cruel, but rather just the feeling of isolation and the the feeling of not wanting to be there is, is quite, quite um, impactful on me and, and makes me, reflect on some of the horrible social experiences I had in elementary school because yeah I was like I was the type of person who was in the same very small social circle like uh, until around then and and yeah I I think that's around the same time as this character that's when I I started being more socially adventurous and I I think it is horrifying so horrifying and the, the movie captures it really well yeah, that's a, a particular moment I was going to bring up is actually right before that pool party, before she like enters, uh, yeah. she goes to the bathroom and just starts to have a bit of an anxiety attack. And that was the first time I had recognized that as something that was, I get, I don't know necessarily if it's something that everyone did, I guess, or... That it wasn't as uncommon because throughout my entire life, I remember going to different events in different places and like immediately the first thing I did was go to the bathroom and I'd have to just sit there for a few minutes before I went out and did anything. 
yeah. and just kind of like think about okay how am i going to navigate the situation <laughs> for the yeah. next two and a half three hours and what if i can't escape and you know an aspect of anxiety is what if somebody brought a gun you know that's always something that i do yeah and so like whenever i first saw that i was like oh this movie's gonna get me shoot <laughs> You know, like that was one of the very first things where I was like, "Uh oh, I'm in for it for the next hour." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that that that's an interesting point because I I feel that way too, and I think that movie I, I felt spoken to and particularly, yeah, I felt like it was particularly aimed at me that type of thing because I I also hate social functions like um i i i know you encouraged me um or encouraged us linking back to other movies and i specifically want to um i don't know if many people have seen this because it's on the festival circuit right now but it's only after watching another movie that i realized that this movie has such a powerful uh, way of doing that uh i shiva baby which played at tiff and has kind of been doing the festival run right now um it's playing a ton of places for free i recommend the audience checks it out but um that movie when i checked it out at tiff i was like it, it, it's a movie that kind of takes similarly a horrific approach to the to the to the anxieties of social functions and having to interact with people and what's why I bring that up is when I watched that movie, I realized like, holy shit, what other movies is there are there any other movies that authentically portray these types of gatherings for, for the people that don't want to be there? And then my mind harkened back to eighth grade, and especially when you said uh, when you pitched this episode idea to me, um, I, I think. It's it's fascinating that it took so long for that type of thing to happen. Like, yeah, I I feel I I suppose the audience and you can tell that like I'm kind of lost in it, and I think what's so special about eighth grade and why I think it really changed a lot for me and is it made me realize that it dialogue doesn't always have to be so sharp not everything has to feel super overridden because sometimes as a person and I know I can relate to this a lot and even with the story you just reflected on you can surely relate to this a lot but sometimes life doesn't have that type of feel to it you know and I think that's what a lot of movies do wrong like sometimes you're completely lost and and you don't know what to do in these types of situations and and I think the beauty of eighth grade is that it's it's very open about that uh it's the the character is is a mess she never knows what to do uh she she leaves the party to go to the bathroom and nearly every social interaction she's in for the first half she she's she doesn't know what to say and and i think that's really special and i can tell that it's really personal for bo even though he 
hasn't necessarily ever been a teenage girl, but I'm I'm sure we can all relate to the overarching themes of that. Yeah, and I totally agree with you. Um, it's something we also discussed on the Boyhood podcast, not to plug my own podcast episode that was two episodes earlier, but we talked a bit about how you had mentioned earlier that you're the type of person that thinks, man, I should have said that yeah. like later after something. Yeah. And uh, that's exactly Sorkin's scripts. Aaron Sorkin's <laughs> scripts yeah. are. They're all, they're all filled with, I should have said that right then, but every character has the right thing to say at the right time. Yeah. And I think like even the social network and even trial of Chicago seven work better as Shakespearean dramas than like actual like pieces of, like realism and in that regard i think they're good movies but there is a nice authenticity to this because it the people in this talk like the way people talk and that's that whole mumblecore idea of let's not entirely memorize exactly everything we're going to say and just have a rough idea of what we're going to say and that contributes a lot to the magic of this movie and so much of this movie is helped because of the performance of Elsie Fisher, who is absolute perfect casting in this movie. I think like Bo had talked about casting her and how he said that it seemed like every other kid actor they hired or, or they auditioned, excuse me, was good at acting, but kind of knew the script and Elsie approached it in a way as in she felt like she was out of her element and that's what the character needed to be and I think that's ingenious yeah um, and yeah I, I want to cut in and say something quick because you you bring up something interesting about the interviews that she's done and I, I actually remember vividly the South by Southwest Q&A um, Bo said he had heard that she didn't get into her school play because she was too anxious and she freaked out on the stage. And then he was like, we've got her. <laughs> this is huh. our Kayla, which is quite a, quite a lovely story. And I love that. I love the idea of like, he didn't make the school play. So then you ended up making like one of the most successful films of 2018. You got nominated yeah. for a Golden Globe. That's that's a cool arc. It's a really yeah. cool arc. Yeah. And like even the fact you're talking about before Elsie Fisher is not like con and I mean this in the nicest way possible, yeah. conventionally attractive in yeah. the way that a lot of kid actors can be. Yeah. Like you can still see all of her acne. Like you said she slouches. Um she doesn't always have clear speech at all times. But that makes it to where you remember the awkward times of eighth grade. Yeah. And, you know, one of the scenes that stuck out whenever I was watching this last night that I, I laughed at was the scene towards the end of this movie, which could have felt so false. And it, it, it worked so well when she finally confronts the petty girls that will, like, never respond to her or talk to her. And it's this moment where she goes up and she's like, oh, you're just me all the time and I'm nice to you and you don't deserve this. And it's such a satisfying moment. And what I love is that it's not that she 
automatically just gets this boast of confidence. She doesn't look them in the eye once when she talks to them. Mm-hmm. Like she has her cap, like it's and she's her cap's down. She's tilted towards the ground, and she cannot look at them when she's speaking to them, which shows that like she is still so self anxious about all of this. This is not yeah. a full circle arc. But she finally, there's a part of her that is kind of broken when I don't need you. Yeah. And I thought, I think that's such a beautiful moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it is because it's just, I think it's very ironic and, and funny that that's her victory. Like, that is the moment where she self-actualizes. But she's still, like, breathing heavily and, like, can't maintain eye contact. And, she, but she still manages to self-actualize, which is a pretty good way of showing. Like sometimes these things don't handicap us. Sometimes it doesn't have to seem that way. Sometimes it's purely just like this is there. It's not a part of why I do not think these are nice people. Uh, and and I, I want to go back to in correlation to that I, I wanted to go back to what you said about the whole like conventionally attractive thing which is what i was trying to touch upon in the intro but it, it's, a, it's a tough subject to start on just because it's easy to be like instinctually interpreted as being rude or whatever but it's yeah. more in the sense of like think of movies like i'm trying to think of coming-of-age movies in the past two years. Like, think of, as much as I don't think this is an example of a good one, it, this just came to mind, like, waves, because I know Elsie Fisher really likes that movie. Not every kid in high school looks like Kelvin Harrison Jr. and Alexa Demi, like, right? Yeah. It's, it's, and, I, and I think it's important that the, the movie star look and and the idea of being like incredibly like um well like over built. the top good looking or whatever is, yeah is it's important to not do that sometimes because we can't be like sometimes i can't just i can't relate to someone like um someone who's really like conventionally attractive being like oh i can relate to them because they say they don't find themselves um, attractive and they're not happy about their appearance because they have like they they the actors themselves likely can't identify with that and I think Elsie Fisher can and I think that's why she's so good at pulling this off because she knows it it's instinctual to her it's part of her and even though it's certainly uh I, I guess overdone in a way I, I you it's easy for the audience to know that this is not an act this is her manifesting her own anxieties in in a physical way yeah I think and it's not like I think what you're struggling to come up with at the beginning of this was the fact that, like, we don't want to say that Elsie Fisher is ugly because she's not an ugly kid. She's not. It's just the fact that all of these particular people have 
a look that like for instance this is the one i always bring up is i think a big reason why the amazing spider-man movie doesn't work is because andrew garfield is supposed to be this nerd in high school clearly 30 he's clearly 30 He's clearly, like, as attractive as you can get. <laughs> and yeah. he's skating down the school hallways, like, the coolest kid in school. And yeah. then he gets pushed by someone. And that's just automatically unauthentic. It's like, yeah. this doesn't work. Yeah, because we aspire to look yeah. like Andrew Garfield skating down the hallway. Like Exactly. Exactly. And that's what this movie gets so well, is the fact that, like... No one aspires to be Kayla. We are Kayla. (laughs) Yeah. It starts and we're like, shoot, this is how it goes. You know, we're we're not handicapped as an audience. Like, I mean, we're usually uh, handicapped as an audience because we're like, we automatically feel below because somebody is like very not, I mean, like very confident in their appearance. And I think what she pulls off with that performance and partially I guess in the script too and the way that Bo worked with her in shaping the character is that it's we we are made not to feel like this is an unrealistic portrayal but we are made to feel like on the same level like we're not looking up to her we're not looking down on her we're looking straight Hmm. at her forward yeah yeah I think that's the perfect way to describe it honestly that's that's great um, and the way that, I mean, I love whenever she does all these videos and yeah. she's giving herself the, the advice that she needs to take. Cause we all do that in our own head in all of our own collective heads. I think anyone with any sort of anxiety absolutely knows where their anxiety's not necessarily coming from, but knows like, Oh, what I'm anxious about is dumb and doesn't equal up to anything at the end. But it doesn't matter. That's just kind of how it manifests, you know? Yeah. 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 And that whole aspect of her giving advice to the audience, but it ends up all being for her, is a really, I think, excellent way of showing this character's mental psyche. And in a way that's not like the narration comes on and goes, this is Elsie Fisher. She's a little sad sometimes. Or Kayla, not Elsie Fisher. (laughs) But, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, you're good. Go. Oh, you were done? Okay. Yeah. Um, I think what's pretty cool about that as well is we're in those moments uh, when she is and when she's doing that and she's recording on her laptop with the webcam. I, I think it's almost like the laptop plays as a mirror to herself uh, in, a, in a way that, like, when the, she, she's not having to confront social anxiety of, like, talking to people who, who, who are way more confident and thus put you in a lower position. She, she's she's putting herself on her own level and even though she, she doesn't necessarily have an audience this is her her coping mechanism and and her way of self-talk even though some some of us may do it in our heads but I, I think that, yeah that's pretty fascinating I, I like the whole metaphor of it like the the, the, the camera playing as a mirror yeah 
I agree with that. I, I think that's wonderful. Um, something that about this movie's so something that really stuck out about this movie this time for me was something that I, I have quoted before, but I think perfectly sums up this, this feeling of anxiety that a lot of us have is whenever Kayla talks and she says, this is like I'm waiting in line at a roller coaster, but I still haven't gone off of it yet. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's, that's perfect. That's a perfect analogy. And I know that Bo must have just been able to say that at one point and went, oh, I've got to save that for later, yeah. you know? But, like, I'm telling you, I teared up the time I heard it this time, like, more than I did the first time. It was something about that moment. And that I think her admitting that and saying it on screen is a moment of clarity for the character and the audience. That is so earned. I, it's so just wonderful. Yeah, it, it's it's especially great to to hear her articulate it herself because it, it, she's not the, the confidence and the lack of confidence doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily limited to her image or her struggle with social interaction but it sometimes it's limited to things as simple as i don't know how to decipher what i'm feeling yeah that's cool i do too and another another big 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 aspect of my own anxiety is not feeling like i've lived as much as i've wanted to on as old as i am like i feel like i should have had more experiences or tried more things and a scene that didn't even register with me the first time that i think hit me the complete hardest this time was well except for the dad speech which i'm sure we'll get into oh Um, yeah yeah but is the scene actually right before that where she gets up she gets her flash drive and sees her middle school, uh, not her middle school, but I think her elementary school stuff being like self being like, Hey, you're in junior high now. Is it great? Do I have a boyfriend now? You have lots of friends. And she's just like tearing up because she's like, no, I don't have any of this that I imagined I was going to have when I was a kid. And obviously. Or what social norms tell us we need to have at this point. Yeah, I don't. And maybe so maybe that's it but i also don't think like personally now looking back as a 22 year old i'm like oh what junior high kid is going to make lasting relationships and art at that age like that's just a brutal age to get through but when you're in elementary you think of being 14 and 15 and you think oh i'm gonna be an adult then yeah. And that's kind of the the unending cycle of it, you know, like yeah. I still think now I'm like, oh, I'll have it all figured out when I'm 30. And I'm sure when I'm 30, I'll be like, well, shoot, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's a, it's a beautiful moment. It is. Um, and I, I think it, it is great character development because we know that 
she she wants to be more and i think she wants to be understood and i think that's what a lot of the characters who play out in like a villainous way or not necessarily villainous but the, 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 she feels like they're out to get her but really they just don't understand and I don't know I don't have anything more articulate to say than that but I, I think I, I think the the way uh, it kind of makes me want to go into the way that the other the side characters in this movie even though we may interpret them as being cruel to her they're not they're just kids who have had great social lives and had their parents do everything for them and everything just feels natural to them because it's the type of life they've been living and they're too young to have an empathetic view of her and I think that makes her feel so much worse deep down and especially with all these things she wishes she has just because all those other kids do and I and I think that's one of the other beauties of this movie especially in the way that it's um it's still very understanding of the fact that they're kids um and, and they don't understand everything like you even see you you mentioned John Hughes movies like even in those, they're so like in the Breakfast Club. I love the Breakfast Club. I'm seeing it at the drive-in tomorrow. Actually. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, but um, I I guess that's a cool moment to plug that. But I, I think <laughs> humble brag. Yeah, it's not as it. I don't love it because it's a high school movie. I love it because there's a lot of sharp dialogue that doesn't necessarily feel relatable i don't think it's relatable at all but um those those characters seem so above themselves if you know what i mean like yeah they they feel they they play out and they speak in a way where where they come off like they they know everything they need to know but sometimes I think it's important for movies to be aware of their characters and that they do lack the life experiences to fully understand that. And I think that's what creates a lot of the disconnect between Kayla and, and the people who go to her school. I do think another interesting observation this movie gives is that the bratty kids, if we talk about them, yeah. the, the, I think the two bratty girls in particular. Yeah don't actually ever seem like they're happy or having a good social life either. Every point, you never see them smile. They're always looking at their phone. I think the film's also showing us that the type of social life that Kayla wants in eighth grade is miserable as well. There's like not a good solution to that, you know? And I think what Kayla figures out at the end, whenever she goes over to Gabe's house and they, eat chicken nuggets and talk about Rick and Morty, which is just adorable, (laughs) is the fact that she's like, oh, I'm happy with this. I'm content with this. This isn't what I thought I was going to be at when I was in elementary school, but I can find happiness in this moment, you know? (laughs) And also, just a a brief side note, the kid, Gabe, he liked some of my tweets on Twitter one time, and I freaked out. So (laughs) shout out to Gabe. (laughs) Yeah, shout out. 
he also voices a character in Isle of Dogs, I believe, that came out yeah. the same year. So that's pretty yeah. cool. I, th- I think um, he he's been in a lot of cool stuff, and deservedly so, because I, I think he encapsulates the other one well. Yeah, you do, you do make a, a good point though uh, with the way that they don't seem happy. I think just what what Kayla early in the movie fails to understand is nobody has what she had hoped for and what she had assumed for in, in the hard drive. Because I remember people when I was in middle school who were in relationships, it was like not real. It wasn't real. It wasn't what they're looking for. It was a lack. Even, even when kids in middle school, it's like a it's like a quarter of what they think they're doing. They just don't really understand what it's supposed to be. And does Kayla fails to realize that what she wants to have is not something that you can have in that joyful way that she wishes for. Um, and I, I don't think it, it does a good job at showing that like, there, point at one character in that movie that's having a good time or smiling. In, that's in the, the elementary school. Everybody, like, the, most of the speaking characters are either visibly, like, very upset or most of the time, or even though they may seem like they have a social, uh, they're, they're, like, social butterflies, they're not really... They kind of just have strong networks and, and know a lot of people. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I don't really know what I'm trying to say at this part, but I, I think it's, yeah, I, I don't think anybody has what she wants, and it's interesting to reflect back on that. Well, there's so she ends up. Um, having a girl show her around the high school for her orientation day and they end up making a bond and i i love that character she's just yeah. so sweet and she gets it you can definitely tell she gets it she's like okay i know who this kid is i know what she's going through i see it in her eyes um she'll be with me you know and kayla's sitting there at that table just uh watching this conversation go on and she's just so out of her depth and I love that while the conversation is just like Kayla's face as she like kind of responds and kind of like laughs at where she thinks she needs to laugh you know and I'm like oh I've been there before you know (laughs) that is such a cute moment and then there's this scene where she kind of tells one of the guys there like uh, don't worry, I, I used to be quiet once. And he's like, y- you are quiet, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, it makes your skin crawl. Yeah. And, but what's so interesting about that scene is you can definitely tell that she looks up to these four, these four kids and she wants to be friends with them. Um, with age, you look back and you're like, oh, I'm cringing even listening to them talk. They're obviously these pseudo-intellectual 16-year-olds. <laughs> Yeah, like, it's like once time it, and perspective goes by, you're like, oh, these these kids are lame, you know? <laughs> yeah, you, you that that's what's interesting because I've been able, uh, I don't 
I don't think this, yeah, it's, it's not the case for you because it didn't come out at the right time. But I've been able to watch this while in high school and while in university. And I think they have a very different connotation because, yeah, at one point you, you look up to them and at one point you're like, I'm who they were trying to be now. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, I, I think, but it it proves that Kayla's an old soul and she's kind of just bowed trapped in that frame. Because... Uh, that that that's where she thrives, and that's what she. That's what she was looking for, kind of, and and I think that's interesting. Uh, just to 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 think of it as. She is not even, she's like a metaphor for 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 Bo's isolation. Like I obviously don't want to. Downgrade her to that. But it's interesting to have that perspective because that's likely the perspective that Bo had when writing it, even though she feels much deeper and she she her her struggles are quite genuine. Yeah, it, it, it's it's funny the way that Bo decided to make it or make this movie about an eighth grade girl because the isolation he feels everywhere is the isolation she feels in this specific situation. Yeah. And I think that's the brilliant part about it is the fact that for him, this eighth grade girl is a metaphor for how he feels in his comedy career, which yeah. is also something that I felt was really resonant because I always looked at Bo Burnham and thought, ah, Bo Burnham's the coolest guy that exists. Yeah. I want to look and sound like Bo Burnham. It's Bo Burnham, yeah. you know? And, and so the fact that he yeah. has those same type of insecurities and struggles that we all do is... Yeah awesome and the fact that he's able to be so open about it um yeah i listened to the h3h3 podcast and yeah me too yeah hey and the best episode of that show i think is the one where they had bo burnham on and they go really deep into all of this and if i i'm i highly recommend the episode if you haven't seen it but they, they talk all about how there's days where they can't even look at themselves in the mirror because they're just like, I, I hate everything about this, you know? And it's just, they're so open and honest about it. And that's the strength of this movie is that it's not a 40 year old executive being like, this is what I think kids will relate to. It's a Bo Burnham being like, this is how I relate to kids now as a 28 year old or however old he is. And that's insane. But like, it works so well. And this is, again, what we discussed on the Boyhood episode, which is why we brought up 8th Grade, is this is one of the only 2010s nostalgia movies that exists right now. Yeah. It's so rooted in what is going on in our culture right now, even to the point to where like people don't really yell LeBron James anymore. That's a whole thing. <laughs> but like yeah. that's such a thing that we'll look back on and be like, oh, I remember whenever... They did that in the 2010s or whatever. Yeah, and, that's... and then everybody in the theater goes hysterical at that moment each time. Uh, yeah. I am sure both of us, for yeah, for both of our theater experiences for it. Yeah. It's funny. It's like a time capsule. And what's so interesting is there's so many films that try to put in 2010 culture references in their yeah. films. That yeah. are so indulgent and so cringy. Yeah, just to be like, flat. for that one kid who like 
Leonardo DiCaprio and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood style points at the screen in the theater, <laughs> and then that moment <laughs> never gets the light of day again. Yeah, uh, I, I love that you bring that up, though. Yeah, absolutely. Because the thing about it is, eighth grade has dabbing. It has like oh yeah, the moment that hashtag the teacher with the beginning. I remember. Uh, both times that I saw it in the theater, even when when I saw it for the first time in a 750-seat performing arts center that was packed to the brim, and the second time I saw it in, like, a boutique art house cinema in downtown Toronto with, like, 80 seats, both times you just get uproar at those moments, which I, I think shows that it's not just, like, arbitrarily throwing them in there. It, it's certainly not. I, I it's yeah it's kind of trying to it's almost satirizing those moments in pop culture and in yeah. the way that they play it in real life because that's how it is and that's how these things become fads because just people yell them with no significance or yell them as a means of yelling into a void because they feel lost which is what a lot of the characters in this movie are doing they're like they're lost, so they're yelling. LeBron yeah, it, James in the room because they don't know what else to do. <laughs> it's, it's weird. It's so like ironic. It's it, it's it's in a sake of irony. It yeah. is this idea that like the dabbing teacher. They're not saying that like oh look how funny dabbing is. It's like the laugh that you get from that. It's not like a ha ha ha. It's a uh ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. Like, it's an uncomfortable, like, shoot, that's weird, you know? Yeah. But, like, that's the whole movie in a nutshell, is uncomfortable yeah. laughter. Yeah. I mean, all throughout the whole thing, including what I have to say is one of the hardest laughs I've had in a movie theater in my life. It's the scene where they randomly cut to them <laughs> them filming a school shooting PMA. Oh, yeah. And that jarring transition, the first time I saw it, I went, what did this become? Oh, my yeah. gosh. But what? And then they, like, revealed that it's, like, the theater class. And I was like, oh, this is insane. Yeah. And not only that, I can totally see them trying this in a few years. What the heck? Yeah. And, and the kids are, like, so, like... The, the, the not dumbfounded because it certainly doesn't have that deep of an impact on them. No, they're all but, just like, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's what what's funny about the way that kind of breaks up the 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 tensions, or not necessarily the tensions, but the misunderstanding that adults have with kids when they're that age. And I, I haven't been on the one side of the perspective, obviously, the, the latter, because, again, we're, we're too young, a little too young to get that side of the perspective. But I think the, the way that um, th those teachers do that and they try and be cool is that they're, what they're not understanding is are these things have no significance. It's really just like, yeah, it, it means nothing. And in the same way, the school shooting stuff means nothing to the kids. And the, the, that barrier is fascinating. And, yeah. It just I, all of a sudden sound, feels like a, a Eric Andre bit. Just all of a sudden yeah. you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. You know? He's it's, probably done something like that. I'm sure. Yeah. 
that he just, I mean, he just occasionally shoots, like, the guy in the backstage yeah. <laughs> with a prop yeah. gun or whatever and has the the yeah. guests be like, what's happening for a yeah. second? And that's what I felt like in the theater. Yeah. I just felt like I was like, am I being pranked right now? What's yeah. going on here, you know? But, like, that's such a, there's not another moment like it in the movie either. It's just such a moment that comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Um. I think one thing we definitely need to talk about is the dad character. Um, yeah. Josh so Hamilton wholesome. is so good in this movie, and he's so wholesome. He's so patient, and he's so understanding, even whenever Kayla can be a bit of a brat in the movie. You know, he's always there. I think it's because he gets it. He gets this yeah. a time of her life and how it's difficult and how she kind of wants to yeah. be left alone. But he prods a little too much as a dad, but it doesn't seem like it's he's trying to be invasive he just cares you know yeah i i forget specifically do they do, do they mention if he's a widow or not uh yes yeah yeah he says when your mom died i was scared and the monologue yeah. at the end yeah and i think that's why i we, we don't it's fascinating that we don't ever r- really get to hear it from her perspective because again, it's just one of those things that doesn't have much emotional significance to her at the time in her life. There's just so many things that feel more important, like like her social life. But uh, I, I I think that 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 barrier that's like he 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 can empath he he can be empathetic about it because because he's had loss and he he's having mental health struggles of his own. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it's a most of the movie, it's a one-sided relationship, and she can never truly understand him. I I I think that that bond is really, really special, and something that makes me really reflect back positively on the movie. Yeah. Um. I, I, I do wonder if Kayla in the film, a part of her anxiety and her self and her self worth, has been because of what happened to her mother. They yeah. never explain that, but that it's definitely that moment where you realize, okay, but also, like you can still have all of these issues that she's having in the movie with a completely normal and stable home life. That's kind of what makes it so special. It's not an essential part of understanding the movie and how it works, but it is an interesting bit. But we should talk about that monologue because I think that's what a lot of people take away from this movie is how good the the dad monologue is. And it's this moment at the campfire when uh, Kayla asks her dad if she makes him sad. And that that kills me every time. I'm like, oh, goodness. (laughs) Like, this is what I'm like, all right, here we go. And he goes off on the speech about how he's like, I wish that you could see yourself the way I see you because I'm, I'm proud of who you are. Like, I don't want you to be something else, but this, you know, you have these interesting hobbies and you're cool in, in your own way. You know, you have your own ideas and your own philosophy behind things. And the part where he talks about how she started empathizing with people and sharing and she had all these things built into her. Like he didn't have to do any of that and how that was really what was important to him. 
And you have to realize that that's really what's important to a lot of parents. I, I know there's parents out there that end up having a kid who is the top of the social hierarchy that end up being a jerk. And that's a, that, that's going to make them a whole lot more disappointed in retrospect than having a kid who cares for other people. And I think that is, there's this idea that at that time of your life, you want to be a kid that feels like they are on top of things in the fact that they are the coolest and the people below them, they're not as cool as I am. And I, it's not as binary as that, but it's the idea of you have to wear a certain way, things talk a certain way, kind of even degrade others at points and be so confident in yourself and be so prideful of yourself that you feel like you belong. And that is another form of self-doubt that's just emulated in a different way. And a lot of people end up seeing that mask later. You know, you don't really see the jock stereotype in high school do much after that because they've already lived it. And so I think for a lot of parents, they, they really are proud whenever their kid is thoughtful and nice and honest because that's those are the traits that end up meaning a whole lot more later down the road, you know? Yeah. I, I don't really have anything to add to that. You kind of hit the nail on the head with that. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, it's such a, it's a moment, and I'm stealing this from uh, the What the Flick, whenever they did their yeah. review. <laughs> um, they said that that monologue is just as moving and intimate as the scene in um, Call Me By Your Name. That, that, that monologue I completely agree with that it, it has the same idea which is just like take a deep breath it's over it's done and here's the next point of your life yeah yeah and it's, it's hard to come to terms with that mm -hmm. sometimes yeah and especially for her where she, she's not like I keep mentioning this but she's not like truly understanding of what what's plaguing her you know yeah i i yeah i think she still has a lot of time to to figure that out um which is kind of shown at the end because it kind of shows her graduating high school at the end and as we can see she wasn't i mean she tears up as they're driving home so you can make the assertion that she realized that oh man i was miserable or She's like, oh, man, I'm still miserable. I don't, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. that's yeah. a really interesting way to read it. But I still think that her high school experience was probably rough. But what she learned in this movie, she probably had to relearn in high school. So it's, I don't, the ending, I, I always try to decide if the ending is hopeful or nihilistic. And it's somewhere in between. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's this idea that like we all have these aches and pains, and that's okay. But it's also the fact of can we truly ever get rid of that? And the answer is probably no. And so, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Pretty fascinating. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, again, like I was saying before, this movie has it. I it like 
I want to even put it on the same level as Lady Bird because I just feel like it's more honest. And I, I love Lady Bird to death, but it's definitely quirkier and has Greta's sensibilities all over it. But 8th grade just feels like a slice of life, and it feels like you're a fly on the wall, you know? Yeah, I, I think w- when, we, when we look at the theme of this podcast and the idea of movies, movies helping us understand ourselves and helping us move forward, I think what eighth grade is does such a good job at is is the way that it it's it's not it's not just trying to to be authentic to to a person's life but as as a movie like Ladybird was with Greta Gerwig, but it's more focused on capturing a feeling because again when we think about the authenticity of it, the authenticity of it is not because this is coming from personal experience of a girl who was in eighth grade in 2018, but because this is written by a man who's had some struggles of his own and in fact has such a self-consciousness about his image that he had to create like a comedian character that has the same name as him to to manifest his feelings and also do something like this and i think that's what bo does such a good job at his his work is so so focused on feeling rather than anything else in I think it's really special for them. He's an incredible writer, and I, I don't know why we haven't heard from him for a while. I really hope we do. Yeah, isn't he working on a Sesame Street project? That's what I heard last. He is, yeah. I, that, that does sound familiar. Yeah, I feel like that was supposed to come out early 2021, but I guess we'll see you. Nothing coming out early 2021. Yeah, there, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just waiting for them to move Wonder Woman at this point, because yeah. I, there's no way, right? Yeah. Yeah, but I'm 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 on that subject. I'm quite glad with just all the new movies out right now are really just like indie movies that are playing at virtual festivals and having VOD runs because I think a lot of the movies I've been able to see this year have a very similar impact to me on eighth grade. Like um, we were originally going to talk on this podcast about a movie called pink skies ahead yeah which is uh directed by directed and written by um the renowned renowned author who's written some health self-help books and whatnot um named kelly oxford and that's also a movie that really is focused on anxiety in a way that eighth grade captures so well but more on an adult perspective and less on a social anxiety perspective hmm. but um I, I think it's great that we're able to get those types of movies out right now because the stories that we're getting to see right now are the ones that really need to be told like a lot of my favorite movies of the year that were able to come out during the pandemic have been like really really impactful on me emotionally like um that and the king of staten island uh never rarely sometimes always beastie boy story shit house 
all are really focused on like mental health issues funny enough and i i think it's really special that those stories are getting told now because of the mediums that i mean the outlets that content can be put in right now yeah i agree it's a really interesting time to be a movie fan for that reason i was able to do more film festivals this year because i live in missouri it's usually not something i can do but i was able to go to a lot of stuff and like i've already seen nomadland and i've already seen you know some of these big movies i'd be waiting for usually so it is it is a cool time and yeah the original pitch for this um podcast was pink skies everywhere um i haven't is that pink skies everywhere did i get that right Uh, yeah pink skies ahead 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 i'm sorry i apologize no no don't Um, be sorry (laughs) but that was the original pitch for this podcast because i read your letterbox log for that and i was developing this podcast like was in the mists of developing this podcast when i read your review and i was like boom we gotta do that episode that's it that's that's the type of stuff that like i want to talk about and so that's i immediately dm'd you and so we'll get to that i think once pink skies everything comes out season two i think we'll come back and talk about pink skies everywhere because i think that'll be an interesting discussion so yeah yeah. i I do too and i'm excited for you to see it because it has a very similar uh uh way of portraying the issues that eighth grade does and and roderick is in it <laughs> roderick my roderick right our roderick our roderick, our roderick. <laughs> i uh also think that an episode of um king of satin island would be interesting to do down the road too because yeah i think that's a movie that both affected you and i that yeah is like not being talked about as much by other people but yeah. like, I love that movie. I thought it was yeah. great. It's still one of my favorites of the year. So, I, I think it is being simplified to Judd Apatow over long, semi-dramatic core. When, when it's really something that's d- deeper than anything he's ever done, just because it's very autobiographical, more in the ladybird vein than the eighth grade Or vein, Honey but Boy. Still, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, certainly. And, uh, yeah, kind of just using a, th- this character that's basically him with a different name and a different profession as a facade for his deeper issues of grief and whatnot. Yeah, and it's that's such an interesting movie because yeah. it's, like, this summer vibe movie for sure. Like, uh, yeah. I watched that with a few friends on Rabbit. I had rented it from the Alamo. Yeah. Um, draft house streaming service and i watched it with a few other friends on a friday night and like i remember feeling like oh it's like going to a summer movie like that was nice yeah. and yeah it still like puts you through the ringer of emotions and i i think back with it with a lot of nostalgia honestly for yeah the weird I, summer of 2020 yeah because that was the real only big uh event movie in the first half of the year really besides i don't even besides like the stuff that came out in theaters like invisible man i would argue that the five bloods was the first like real big oh true that was the week before i still haven't seen that oh you haven't yeah it's really good yeah it's one of my favorites of the year as well it Mm -hmm. came out the same year as king of staten island i think yeah yeah uh yeah uh, the same it was like a week apart yeah might have been the week after yeah something like that i remember them being the, close the, 
Yeah, I think King of Staten Island was a week after I fact-checked it now. Oh, sweet. Because <laughs> yeah. I remember being like, oh, I watched the two best movies of the year. Finally, good movies are coming out. Because yeah. for a while, The Lodge was my favorite movie of the year for like yeah. a solid five or six months, which is also a really yeah. good movie. But yeah. I remember being like, oh, finally, The Lodge yeah. is not my number one anymore because it's been that yeah. for a while. So, yeah. But yeah. I think it's been... Yeah, it's been a great year for content of, in general, and I think not a lot of people are speaking on that. And uh, a few of my favorite movies of the year that are like really, really emotional, nobody's talking about, never, at least sometimes, always, has made me cry twice now. <laughs> twice? Uh, yeah. Uh, I, uh, that movie is also probably controversial, but... If you get a chance to check it out, I'm curious if you'd speak on it on here, what you'd have to say. Yeah, it just depends on, like, <laughs> where we're yeah. at. You know what I mean? I don't want to yeah. go, like, episode four and be like, all right, now it's the time we talk about never rarely, sometimes, always. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. yikes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I've heard a lot about it. I just haven't yeah. gotten around to watching it. Yeah. Gold Derby now has it is like pretty high odds for a lot of categories, which is interesting. I think it's just because it, it might be getting its little second round of appreciation at this point as people are starting to catch up on what came out earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I know that eighth grade, I remember it being on the Gold Derby stuff for a little bit and me being like, man, I wish... <laughs> Yeah, and it never did, and we no. could have been there, but it got the indie spirit love it deserves. Yeah. They're better anyways. That's fair. Um, eighth grade should have gotten screenplay nom, though, at least. Like, come yeah. on. What was, didn't Green Book get a screenplay nod? Yeah, it did. No, it won. Didn't it win? Yeah, it, it, yeah, it won. Wow. It did. <laughs> and no love for eighth grade. Yeah. What it's I, I always think the the indie spirit awards are always better for like those movies that I just I guess the members of the academy can't really relate to because I, I guess I I actually voted for eighth grade the independent spirit awards I was a member that year oh that's I cool. think it's because of the the fact that it's just like open and as long as you pay a hundred bucks a year you can vote and I, I think that's where its audience was and. It got a few wins there. I think Elsie won there. That's good. She should have. She should have won. I mean, I think I still think that it's just a sublime performance. And it was. I really hope that she gets like roles. <laughs> yeah. I, I, she was nominated. She didn't win, but yeah. he. But Bo won first best first screenplay at the Spirit Awards. Because now Elsie's like in. I she was in Castle Rock, which. Yeah, and she was in the Adams family. Yeah, we can forgive her for that. Yeah. There's a lot of like stars in the Adam family. Did you ever see it? No. No, it, me it either. Was, it, it, it got a th- like a theater re-release last week, which is like they're really running out of shit now. It yeah, it actually because I work at a movie theater. I think I've mentioned that yeah. on here. Is it already. playing at your theater? Um, it, or was it? It did. Like I would say probably a month ago. Yeah. Yeah. So weird. But like. They they brought it out for a dollar, so it was yeah. dollar tickets to cool. go see it. They also like yeah. brought back like Abominable and stuff. It's weird. Yeah, it's just like they're throwing everything right now. I know they're playing the original Toy Story in theaters this week. Yeah, yeah, my yeah. theaters too. I really, yeah, I really want to see it in theaters. 
I'm trying to find yeah, a time it, where I can go do that. I saw it last year uh, in the theater because I went to the Toy Story Marathon. It's quite cool in the theater. Did, did you see it in the theater when in its first run? Oh, I wasn't alive. Or, no, wait, no, wait. No, yeah. It's 1995. Yeah, I was going to say. No, no, you're I, fine. I, my, my brain clicked with like 1999 for some reason. That's yeah. Toy Story 2. I, I probably didn't see Toy Story 2 in the theater either because yeah. I would have been. True, yeah. Um, months old i think <laughs> you know what you know what quarantine does yeah, uh, yeah, yeah I've, I've lost track of what time is i saw toy story 3 in a theater yeah me too yeah, yeah. and yeah. 4 of course yeah sure. yeah. yeah or uh, wait actually did toy story uh, i guess uh, it ha- oh yeah it had a re-release in the 2010s at some point in like 2010 maybe they did the double feature in 3d yeah yeah, yeah. i remember that um yeah I guess that's what I was thinking of. I don't know. Because I, I, I definitely didn't think that you had seen it f- four years before you were born. I don't know where I was going with that. Okay. I actually <laughs> wasn't able to see it in 3D, unfortunately. This yeah. is actually funny. Um, I recorded this podcast before. It comes out after. Um, we did a whole Toy Story episode with Hayden Elmore. And oh, sick. Yeah, he discussed seeing the, the first two in 3D on the big screen. And yeah. I was like, shoot, because he said, like, that was one of the coolest moments of my life. And I was like, well, I feel like I missed something. <laughs> Maybe they'll do it again sometime. Yeah. I will say I saw Lion King in 3D. Yeah. That was amazing. Not the new one, yeah. like the cartoon. Yeah, the, right. yeah, I remember when they did that in yeah. 2009 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Mm-hmm. There's so many movies I wish I did that for. Mm-hmm. We should do a but... workshop of humanity on the new Lion King just to throw people off. Yeah, when the Barry Jenkins Lion King comes out, because that's I I still don't know. If, I feel like that's not real. I feel like I feel like that was some weird thing that didn't won't actually happen. That's like the twenty fifth weirdest thing to happen this year, and that's saying something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's still like it's a pretty long list, and you have to go pretty far down for it to start to get. Not weird. Yeah, like, I remember <laughs> reading that is. article and being like, okay, who is playing Mad Libs at Disney? <laughs> and went, hmm, Barry Jenkins, Lion King 2 live action remake. Yeah. Oh, crazy. man. I wonder if, like, I still wonder if Bo Burnham will get picked up by, like, any, like, big studios to do a project like that. Because I feel um, like he yeah. could do it. I think, yeah, I, 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 I agree. I think... He seems like, if for, from his work so far, especially since now he can reflect back on his, I'm putting up finger quotes for the listeners, um, comedian character uh, was also kind of just a way for him to use an outlet to like reflect on his feelings. I, I, I feel like he might just stick to um, the stuff where he knows he can get that done yeah i i don't know what that means he'll do in the future but i'm sure the rest of his filmography will have like a deeper um i i guess intention in terms of um mental health awareness and opening that up on the big screen i'm really wondering what he'll do with the sesame street movie of the songs i have a feeling that could really bop yeah end up doing something interesting yeah and I don't know. He he's great with, um, like very intricate lyricism, 
that can still be focused on and not get, I guess, undervalued by the production of the production value of the music itself. Yeah. Wasn't he is, have you seen promising young woman yet or, uh, no, no. Cause he's in that as well. Right. Yeah. So he's getting some roles in the, that type of movie, which is cool, which that's interesting. My theater, which I want to tell you is the most boomer theater that exists. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, we released Let Him Go with Kevin Costner. Yeah, is Cosmer. that thriving? Oh, it's thriving, dude. Every time <laughs> I go into work, I'm like, why do I, like, there's people seeing this. It's like 25% full theaters seeing yeah. this movie. It's it's wild. But we got a poster for Promising Young Woman, and it's in our lobby right now because we're so desperate oh, for movies. Cool. We're going to get it. and. Yeah, I think that could really Universal. scare our audience. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure it can. Yeah, um, yeah. Universal has most of the movies coming out for the rest of the year, so uh, that that's interesting. And yeah, if it played at, I saw, um, uh, it's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, and Nightmare Before Christmas at the Drive-In. That sounds uh, like a last week, time. and they played the promising young woman trailer, at, like in front of kids' movies. So that was kind of funny, but it's cool how <laughs> they'll get a big release. Uh, yeah, Bo's yeah. still getting his his work done. I yeah, I'm curious about that role. He seems to be. I I don't think I. We, we yeah, I'm trying to think of what other acting he's done. The Big Sick. Oh yeah. He, yeah, he yeah. obviously gravitates to like deeply personal stories because that's another one i i love that movie that's probably another good workshop in humanity certainly for season two yeah oh yeah i've actually because i'm in a production class right now so i have to make spreadsheets and decide who is being cast where and what time and it sucks don't become a film producer it's awful (laughs) um but the script I got was the big sick, so I've been actually like studying that script for the last yeah. three or four months. That's so cool. And yeah, and like, what's weird is whenever I first saw it in theaters, like I didn't dislike it for any means. It's just like I remember it being like a movie, and I walked down, and I was like, that was cute, and I went home. Like rereading yeah. it, I was like, shoot, I should probably rewatch this sometime because like this is yeah. solid, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating how Emily wrote it, mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh... Yeah, I, that's kind of become a scholarly movie, as weird as it is, because in my, in my uh, last year of high school, in my writer's craft class, uh, when uh, our teacher was trying to teach us about like the importance of putting yourself in a story, he screened us the big sick in this high school class of like 30 kids who... Usually, like, you know, I, I'm sure you can, like, think back on your high school movie-watching experiences, and people don't really care. But, like, that was the one, like, euphoric yeah. high school classroom movie-watching experience I had because everybody was hooked and dead silent. And it actually had a real impact on all of them, which I think speaks volumes to what like injecting personality into a movie can do just like Bo does with eighth grade circle back. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I had a really interesting, 
um, high school movie experience because I actually saw a lot of movies in high school. Um, I took a psychology class that would screen movies a lot. And that's also a thing that connected to this podcast was thinking about that because they screen movies all the time. And then they would talk about the psychological aspects of the film and kind of how it works. Like that's the first place I saw of one flew over to cuckoo's nest and movies like that. But um, I had, we had a film club after school and the teacher asked our principal, if it's after school hours, can I play whatever I want? And they're like, if it's not porn, you're good. <laughs> and so, like, that's the first place I ever saw The Shining at. It's the oh. first place I ever saw Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. It's the first place I saw Goodwill Hunting. And, that's really cool. Um, I remember distinctly. So, my senior year of high school, I was I stopped going, and it wasn't for any particular reason, but I was just busy with stuff. Like, my senior year of high yeah. school is actually never I got busy with, like, theater and stuff and media class mm-hmm. so i just didn't have the time he played blue velvet <laughs> oh <laughs> i was like God. holy crap man <laughs> yeah that's so excess i uh yeah i i graduated four years ago i'd love to go back and see if he's still doing that <laughs> yeah that'd be really funny yeah, yeah. And, oh yeah that same teacher that i took the writer's craft class with i should mention also booked for the entire uh 11th grade uh, th- that was taking English, booked out the uh, a screen at the local multiplex, and we watched Lady Bird, and then we had to like shape our final essay on it. That's and awesome. That was one of my literally like people, or even at the like the, I, I guess I don't I don't know if the 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 theaters in your area are designed in the same way where it's like the entrance. There's like the four rows right in front of the entrance. Okay, yeah, I got you. Yeah, that are, like, pitted right against the screen. Like, everything except for those was full, which was crazy. <laughs> like, two, three hundred people. And then, like, five of the teachers at the school. That's awesome. Yeah, that's one of my favorite high school memories. Yeah, that, for sure. that sounds awesome. I know uh, I'm interning, interning at Carbon Trace Productions right now. And the head of Carbon Trace was telling me that, because he's a professor at uh, Missouri State, and he was telling me that he took an entire class to see Anomalisa one time. Oh my god. Yeah. That's awesome. And he said, because he thought the trailer was really misleading what the movie was actually about. And I watched the trailer back, and I was like, shoot, he's right. This kind of looks like this a light, cute movie. And then you watch the movie, and it's uh, not a light, cute movie at all. Yeah. (laughs) It's still like very suitable for that because it really can be psychoanalyzed and whatnot like um i was actually um i'm taking a bunch of classes of like about that right now of like narrative deconstruction yeah uh in one of the options for an essay in my film class last year out of like a list of like 40 movies was anomalisa which i Mm. find pretty interesting yeah, it's it's a great movie. Um, yeah. I would love to do some Charlie Kaufman stuff on the podcast. We'll get there. Yeah. I just feel like oh, I need yeah. a I need some practice to do on this before we get there. Yeah, that, that's, that's a like, lot to unwind. Yeah. yeah. Whereas this is very much like, uh, you you inject in the same way that like Bo injects his personal experience into his writing. We inject our personal experience into our interpretation of the movie, but. Yeah, Kaufman is like a whole other ballpark there. Yeah, it that comes with psychoanalysis and mm-hmm. much 
deeper theme meaning and all that. Which, ironically, Hayden and I get into a Toy Story. Because we actually discuss. Yeah. We discuss that. We're like, Toy Story is a Kaufman movie. That's just yeah. like, has it's layered as like this kid's movie about toys. But it's actually a movie about how we're all slowly dying. <laughs> like, all of those movies are insane. <laughs> I'm more than excited to be listening to yeah, it's it's it gets wild. We get really deep into the psychoanalytics of the Toy Story franchise. Um, yeah, because I'd also to do like it's such a beautiful day. I just know that I gotta I gotta have some time, man. <laughs> yeah, to get my yeah, thoughts. That, you that's, know. that's definitely a tough one. Yeah, too, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Anyway, so you have any final thoughts on eighth grade? Uh, got movie. <laughs> See it if you have it. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think that. If if you if theoretical listener, if you have not seen eighth grade since its original theater run, and you've found yourself struggling with mental health in a way that's uh, any different than at the time that you first saw it, especially if you've dealt with anxiety coming from isolation of everything that's going on in 2020. I, I highly recommend uh, revisiting this because I, I think it might be more impactful than you remember. Yeah, I have to say the same thing. I, I've i loved this movie. It's had a tremendous impact on me. Once again, I don't know where it's going to be on my favorites list. Um, that's the entire theoretical process. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it is one that like it hurts to watch, I think. Yeah. And it's uncomfortable deeply. Deeply uncomfortable. And one of the top reviews on Letterboxd says Eighth Grade is a horror movie, like in all capitals. Yeah. And what you, whenever you mentioned hereditary, I was like, shoot, he's kind of right. Yeah. <laughs> it is like this this immensely scary movie. Yeah. That will the like score. shake you to the bone. <laughs> We never talked about the score. Oh. The score adds to it so much. Yes. It is like this very like I I want to say it's almost industrial. It's just like it does its purpose. Yeah. But like mm-hmm. it is such a character in the movie and it's so weird. It's such a weird choice. Yeah. Uh the one song that's like in the and I think it's at the pool party scene. I think it's called Nautilus. Mm-hmm. Was actually written a couple years prior and was picked up by Bo Burnham and he was like I want her to score my movie which is interesting because it fits so well into the DNA of the movie it feels like it's a part of it that's like the the, the very like low like tone like the the way it like de- escalates and it kind of yeah in in the same way that like horror movies use sound effects to to build into tensity this movie does it so well the score it's interesting that some of it was written outside of the context of it yeah um and also the trailer song was perfume genius right yeah yeah the i wanna break free you know and yeah that because it was funny because I actually listened to that album like probably a month ago when that song kicked on. I was like, it's the eighth grade song. Oh, okay, yeah. I know who this guy yeah. is now. <laughs> uh, and it was in Booksmart too. Yeah, was he? Uh, and, oh no, no, that song. Oh, the no, song no. was in Booksmart. Yeah. 
Yeah, shoot. It's been a bit since. You see, uh, um, unpopular opinion. I'm not a book smart person, so I saw it once. Yeah. Did not resonate yeah. with me. Have not watched it since. So I don't that's remember fair. that being in book smart. Yeah. <laughs> but that's interesting. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. I remember laughing at the panda. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. That would I actually guess, yeah. be an interesting episode because I know so many people who love book smart. And I think that'd be yeah. fun to just like have some people on talk about how much they love Booksmart. Yeah. And then me kind of be the counter to that because I don't love Booksmart. So, yeah. Yeah. Because it's not like every episode of the show should be just something that I universally love as well, you know, or else that'd be mm-hmm. a pretty limited podcast. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you want somebody to talk for you, if you ever want to do one on Frank Zappa, I'd just like talk uninterrupted for three hours because I've been getting deep into his work and I found it to be quite impactful on me. Things like that. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm I'm hoping to explore theme parks. I'm hoping to explore oh, music. Whoa. I'm hoping to explore, yeah, all sorts of things I have on the horizon. That's cool. Yeah, actually, I have someone coming on episode five to talk about um, the Journey to Imagination ride at Epcot and Disney. <laughs> Yeah I, yeah, I saw about that I, um, when you were introducing it on your Instagram. I'm quite curious about that. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting because I think we should just get, like, there was this idea. The first thing was, like, movies. That's what I do. But then I was like, well, books exist, music exists, all these different things that have impacts on us that yeah. we don't normally explore. Yeah. So we should yeah. have time to do that as well, you know? So Yeah. Some, yeah, it's it's surprising to see humanity like deep deeply rooted in things that we don't expect. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's one of the most powerful things that can happen to you is to to resonate with something, no matter how odd it is to if if that not profound at all. That was like. Noah Centineo, it doesn't matter what you do for others tier, but still. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's that like that's that cliche saying that's like um, the earth without art, it's just eh. Yeah. Because of the way that art and culture, this in pop culture in general, just kind of shapes us. Yeah. Without us even realizing it, I think that's even if you're like someone who works on construction or you're a lawyer or something like that. I almost guarantee you have a personal connection to something, you know? Yeah. And sure. I mean, movies like eighth grade to bring it back full circle are ones where we can actually find ourselves in them, you know, or movies like even black Panther for a lot of the African American community was whenever they're like, Oh, I see myself on screen, you know? And it's just movies like that are so important. Yeah, there. Yeah, so I think I think that wraps up the episode. So, um, Dan, where can people find you? Uh, a lot of places. You can find me uh, on Letterboxd at Dan the Movie Man. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Dan underscore Daniel underscore Asbel. Uh, Twitter, no, Twitter is Daniel underscore Asbel. Instagram Dan underscore Asbel. Uh, I write reviews sometimes at KeithLovesMovies.com. Um, but uh, yeah, also doing some festival programming stuff, which is cool. 
Sweet. Can you explain uh, that a little bit? I'm curious. Yeah. Um, I, I, I did some uh, programming for the Toronto South African Film Festival this year. Like, I helped them pick out stuff, but they took none of my recommendations. So, people, don't watch anything. <laughs> I really hope they don't find this, this podcast <laughs> and go right to the end. Yeah. Uh, but right now, I'm, I'm in the... I, I'm, like, uh, deep into the application process for the Fantasia Festival in Montreal, which is, like, a genre festival. They've played some cool stuff. Like yeah, I know played... there. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, like, phase three of the application process, but it looks like I'm going to be doing some stuff for them this year, which is cool. That's sick. Yeah. Uh, if I ever need a festival um, film, get to a festival, I'll just contact Dan the Movie Man. Yeah. <laughs> I will. I will cheat. Yeah, <laughs> my way through it. <laughs> I don't know. And then yeah, thank you for having me on this. It was great to be able to, I guess, an- analyze this movie uh, in a, in this way. I-, I think it makes me realize how much more it means to me than I'd initially expected. Yeah. Again, I, I. That's the whole idea of the podcast. It's just to explore these ideas and this lens, you know. And so it's just, it's, sure. it's already gotten so many cool discussions coming out yeah. and it's also an intellectual exercise. You know, I'm like, after one of these, I'm always like, I got to lay down for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's a cool thing. So this podcast is run by toy box productions. That's my uh, little studio. And we are getting a group of podcasts coming together. So that's really cool. Um, so I'll just tell you about some of those real quick. Um, we have a podcast coming out called um, Gold Derby Horses, and it's an entire award season podcast hosted by Ooh. George Ehert. <laughs> He's going to make fun of me. He's going to laugh at me because I always mispronounce his name on purpose. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and George will talk about that because he's on next week's episode. By the way, we're talking about Yee Yee next episode, the um, Edward Yang movie. So get hyped for that. And also, if you're like watching this movies along with us, make sure to save some time because Yee Yee is three hours long. So, you know, if you just schedule some time, watch that movie and we'll probably just cry about it because it's a wonderful movie. And along with that, um, Jared Roca, who writes for Toy Box, he wrote long in-depth review and summaries for the show we are who we are he's really big into television um he's going to be doing a monthly podcast about what's new on disney plus called the toy box club no the toy box mouse clubhouse which was coined by tristan french just to shout him out for that (laughs) wonderful title great dude (laughs) um so that's going to be a thing and um then, I'm looking forward to your two's almost famous podcast because that's a all-time favorite. Yes, three of us have in common. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the almost famous actually Jared Roca that's doing that. He's on the episode for Almost Famous. It's going to be episode. Yeah, eight. that's yeah, that's what I said. I, I yeah, I took note of that when I saw the yeah 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 Instagram post. Um, that's going to be great because like I know that like he's seen that movie probably more than me and you have seen that movie, which yeah. is insane because I've probably seen Almost Famous more times than The Sun. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm really excited for that one. That's probably going to be like until I get to the obligatory Ratatouille episode, which again mm-hmm. is one I'm just getting prepped for. 
um that'll probably be my favorite movie re- re-review for a while you know so yeah. that'll be cool that'll be a for cool sure. episode yeah, and there's a lot to talk about there mm-hmm. from that perspective. Yeah, also, um, to shout it out, I'm on another podcast called A Sit Down Podcast that's hosted by my friend Tyler Hawkins, who was on the last episode for the 1975. Um, this Friday, we're talking about the movie Do the Right Thing, just in time after re-election results. So that's going to be a really interesting discussion. So make sure to listen to that. And... You can find me at artpick underscore reviews on Instagram. I have a link tree there, and that's where you can see all my stuff because I keep myself busy lately. So um, I have way too many things I'm juggling. I just keep forgetting that there's other things I have to do, and it's <laughs> it's fun, but it's Life also stressful. Yeah. Um, a cool thing is like I'm gonna release a short film by the end of the year, and I keep forgetting that's a thing I'm doing. So like, yeah, stay tuned for all of that. And that's super exciting. Yeah. And that was eighth grade. Um, Yeah. See you guys later. And thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Sweet. That was good.